following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right, good evening, everybody. Woo! Good evening, everybody. I'm tired. Do I look like it? I am. Wednesdays are the longest days in prayer because you get up at five and you wake up when you get into the rhythm of it before five, before the alarm goes off. And so you wake up about 430 and you come to prayer and it's, it's, it's just so much fun. And, and when you go leave here, it's like, wow, we had a great day today. And I'd like to say that the third week of this, the attendance has been better than the first two weeks of this. We're having record numbers. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Prayer is absolutely catching a hold. We have young people here every morning praying for God to give them a husband or a wife. Every morning. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But we're, we're praying. We're asking God to do great things. You feel the results of prayer in this service tonight. Prayer changes things. Amen. Prayer is an awesome thing. And I know if you can't make it here, I know many of you are praying. So I would say there's probably eight to 900 people every morning praying between six and seven o'clock, asking God to give us what we need at Christian Life Church. And thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm not looking forward to this ending on Saturday. I'm really, really not. But we've got three more days and we're going to have a great time tomorrow. Tomorrow, Thursday's always big days. And then Friday, we're going to have the healing line and we're going to ask God to do some great things. And then Saturday, we got tacos for you. (laughs) Breakfast tacos. And we're going to be here at nine o'clock. And last year, somebody brought a bunch of bluebell ice cream in here. (laughs) Folks, I'm telling you, I'm craving bluebell. We went to Mighty Fine tonight to eat, and I didn't eat this afternoon. I've been eating about one meal a day, trying to fast a couple of them, and, and doing pretty good. I've cheated a couple of times. Don't mind. I'm, I'm not a lying preacher. I tell the truth. But, I, but uh, bottom line, I've cheated a couple of times because something looked pretty good. I mean, I just had to have, I had to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich the other day. <laughs> it was good. I have not fasted sugar. I promise I have not fasted sugar. But I have fasted bluebell ice cream. And uh, I, I can't wait till Saturday because Saturday at 10 o'clock, when all this is over and all you folks get out of here, I've got some over there in the freezer. <laughs> and I'm going to say, on your mark, get set, go. And I'm going to go. I'm going to get me some ice cream. If you're a guest here tonight, we have fun on Wednesday nights. And, and, uh, by the looks of it, somebody walked in and I said, what are y'all doing here tonight? What's happening here? And he was really serious. And I said, well, come on in. We're having church here tonight. And it's an awesome thing to have church like this on Wednesday night at Christian Life Church. I, I don't want to fix something that's not broken. Wednesday nights are not broke around here. Clap your hands real big and say hallelujah to that. And we're not going to keep you long, but we're, we're doing this God Is series. And the first week we did, Is God Enough? Is God Enough? We just asked that question, Is God Enough or do you need more than God in your life? And we determined that God was sufficient in our life. We believe that. Last week we talked about Job said he's above the stars. 
So we said God's on top of everything. If you're under it, God's on top of it. And we believe that God's on top of everything in your life. And tonight, I'm speaking on God is a covenant-keeping God. He really is. He's a covenant-keeping God. So I'm going to ask you to stand, a little more calisthenics. I'm going to ask you to stand. I will not be lengthy because prayers in the morning, your kids have to go to school, and I understand that, and I watch the time as closely as you watch it where you're sitting. I would appreciate if you'd give me about 25 minutes here, and I will complete this, and we'll go home after some prayer. But I do want to preach to you tonight. Everybody say, Pastor, Pastor preach, to us tonight. preach to us tonight. Let us know the Word of God to our hearts. Let it touch our mind. Let it change my mind. Let it touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. You may be seated. God bless you. You're incredible people. And can I tell you before I start, I truly love every one of you. I truly do. You come to church here, you're loved by this pastor, and I mean that. Our God is a covenant maker. Say a covenant maker. And he's a covenant keeper. Say covenant keeper. I was raised, folks, to enjoy Western movies. When I was a kid, Western movies were classics. John Wayne, God, I loved him. Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, The Lone Ranger. I read that the most watched made-for-TV movie was a Western called Crossfire Trail. In the story, the hero travels hundreds of miles to keep a promise to his dying friend. And the main bad guy in the film laments that his plans are being destroyed by the hero's arrival, and he states this, what kind of dinosaur upends his whole life to keep his promise to a dying man? Keeping promises, folks, creates heroes. Keeping promises creates heroes. You want to be a hero? Be a promise keeper. Are there any promise keepers here in the house tonight? One of the greatest westerns that I ever saw was called Lonesome Dove, and it was a six-night thing, and I watched every one of them, and I saw them again, and I've watched them again. I don't know how many times again I've watched them. But one Texas ranger makes a vow to another that he will bury him in Texas no matter where he dies. And he died up north, and riding across country on horseback, the other ranger completes a three-month pilgrimage to get Ranger Gus back to Lonesome Dove promise keepers. David was called a man after God's own heart. Some say it was because he knew how to repent. He knew how. He had to one day. Some say it was because he was a worshiper, and he was. We sang his songs, the psalms we sing. Some declare it was his heart's desire to be in church. All the above, folks, are true. They really are. Yet David was like God in that he was a covenant keeper. David kept covenants. His word was his bond. His life could not be better. He had just been crowned. His throne room smelled fresh. He was already building a city of Jerusalem up. The ark was home. Hadn't been home in a long time, but it was home. Gold and silver overflowed in the king's coffers. And the enemy was keeping their distance. They were afraid of David. The days of ducking Saul were just a memory now. But in his memory, David remembers a promise he made to Jonathan, Saul's son. And when Saul had threatened to kill David, Jonathan fought to save David. And Jonathan succeeded and asked David to show kindness to him if he died. 
And Jonathan also wanted David to show loving kindness to his family. You'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. I don't have time to read it. Jonathan died. He died with his father. But David promised did not. David kept his promise. And to David, a covenant was no small matter. And when you catalog all the things David did well, the word promise, promise survives the cut and makes the short list. Let's talk present day. Perhaps you're a husband tonight of a depressed wife and you know the challenge of a promise. As she stumbles through the gloomy fog, you wonder what happened to the girl, the beautiful girl that you married. Can you keep a promise in a time like that? Or perhaps the wife of a cheating husband in this house tonight. He's back. He's sorry. You're hurt. You wonder. He broke his promise. So do I keep mine? Perhaps there's parents of prodigals here tonight. Parents of runaways here tonight. Parents of handicapped children, disabled children. Even parents of healthy toddlers that are driving you crazy because the honeymoon is over. Now the quiet evenings are buried beneath a mountain of dirty diapers and short, short nights. Enter Mephibosheth. Advisors summon Ziba, a former servant of Saul, now serving in David's kingdom. And the question is, did he know of a surviving member of Saul's household? Take a good look at Ziba's answer. He said, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame on his feet. That's found in 2 Samuel 9 and 3. Ziba never mentions his name. He said he's just lame. There's kind of a disclaimer. He's saying simply, be careful, David. This isn't, would you say it, suited for the palace. This man's not. You might think twice about keeping this promise because this boy is a bad crippled kid. And when Mephibosheth was five, His father and grandfather died at the hands of the Philistines. And knowing their brutality, the family of Saul headed for the hills. And as a nurse picked up Mephibosheth as a little five-year-old boy to run, she tripped and dropped him, breaking both his ankles, leaving him incurably lame because he never received doctor's assistance. And servants carried him to a place called Lodabar. The name means without pasture. There's no grazing land. It's a wind-blown tumbleweed desert. Mephibosheth hid there, fearful of the Philistines and fearful of the new King David, victimized, ostracized, disabled, and uncultured. He is brought to the palace because David said, go fetch him. And he fearfully enters. And David immediately restores all that Saul had given him. And he also gave him a place at the king's table. And faster than you can say Mephibosheth twice, He gets promoted from Lodabar to the king's table. Faster than you can say his name. Goodbye, obscurity. Hello, royalty. And hello, reality. David could have sent money to Lodabar. He really could. A lifelong annuity would have generously fulfilled his promise. But David kept Mephibosheth, uh, gave Mephibosheth more than a pension. He gave him a palace. And a place at the royal table. The kid who had no legs to stand on now had everything to live for. Why? Why? You ask why? Because he impressed David? Because he convinced David? Because he coerced David? No. Mephibosheth did nothing. A promise 
prompted David. The king was kind, not because the boy was deserving, but because his promise was enduring. Everybody say, wow. Here's a point of emphasis. David's son, Absalom, rebels 15 years later. Mephibosheth has been at the king's palace for 15 years. And David is forced to leave Jerusalem because Absalom has won the men's hearts of the kingship. And Ziba, his servant, leaves with David. But Ziba tells David that Mephibosheth sided with with Absalom, the enemy. And after Absalom dies, David returns to Jerusalem. And Mephibosheth gives David another version of the story. He said Ziba left him behind. And he was not able to escape on two bad feet. So David has to say who's telling the truth. Ziba or Mephibosheth. But David never asked. You know why? Because it didn't matter. His place in the palace depends not on his behavior, but on David's promise. Oh, I want to preach a little bit tonight. Why was David so loyal? And how was David so loyal? David, where did you get that kind of resolve? David would say, my story is about God's story. The Lord is a covenant-keeping God. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant, and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Can I tell you, if you just love God, He'll take care of your kids a thousand generations from right now. There's a God that I'm speaking about that's not going to break His covenant. Come on now. Do you want God to take care of your kids? You want God to take care of your heritage? Start loving on God right now. Start believing that God is your portion. God makes and never breaks his promise. The Hebrew word for covenant is the word bereth. It means a solemn agreement with a binding force. Everybody say bereth. It means a solemn agreement with a binding force. When God says it's so, it is so. Would you let me preach a little bit right now? His promises are never nay, but his promises are yea and amen. And it is impossible for God to lie. So don't look at me and say, my problem is God don't love me. My problem is God won't help me work my situation out. His promises are yea and amen. And it's impossible for God to lie. His promises run a tapestry through the whole word. Ask Noah. Here's a rainbow, Noah. I will never again destroy the world by water. Astronauts have have said from outer space that the rainbows they see make complete circles around the whole earth. God keeps his word even from Noah's day. In Genesis 15, Abraham can tell you about promises. God said, counting the stars and counting descendants would be equal, an equal challenge. To secure the oath, God had Abraham cut several animals in half. And in the ancient East, 
The promise maker passed between the divided animal carcasses in a figure eight, which represented a brand new beginning. He's saying, I will meet the same fate if I break my word. I'll become a carcass on the ground. God takes promises seriously and he seals them dramatically. Consider Hosea. Oh, I'm gonna preach in a minute. I'm setting you up. Consider Hosea. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. He said, marry her. If her profession doesn't get you, her name will. (laughs) Gomer. What's your wife's name? Gomer. I've checked the records. There's no Gomer women in this church. So I'm not making fun of anybody. Hosea obeyed. And Gomer gave birth to three children. Listen to me now. None of whom were Hosea's. Gomer abandoned Hosea for the equivalent life of a stripper at a nightclub. Rock bottom for her came in the form of an auction pit where men bid on her as a slave. Lesser men would have waved her off, but not Hosea. He jumped into the bidding and bought his wife back at the highest price and took her home. Why? Here's Hosea's explanation in his third chapter. God ordered him to buy her back as an example of the way God loves his people. You can't go too far that God won't reach you. You can't sin too greatly that God won't come after you. He won't give up easy. He's not quit the quitting kind. He will come where you are, no matter where you are. Can I get it through your head? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need a picture of a promise keeping God. Look at Hosea buying back his wife. Look at the smoldering pot passing between the animals. Look at the rainbow and the clouds for Noah. Noah, look at Mephibosheth. Or look in the mirror. We all were born children of the king. But we've been left hobbling because of a stumble of Adam and Eve in a garden. So we've meandered along the dry sand of Lodabar. But then came the palace messenger. Perhaps it was a teacher, a Sunday school teacher. Perhaps it was a work buddy. Perhaps it was an uncle. Maybe a bald-headed preacher or one with hair. Maybe it was a child. But they came with the news. Hey, you're not going to believe this. The king has a place for you at the table. The place card is printed. The chair is empty. Your name's on the place card. He wants you in his family. And you say to that person, is it because of my IQ? Is it because of my money? 
Is it because of my retirement account? Is it because of my life skills? Is it because of my good works? Sorry. The invitation has nothing to do with what you are or who you are. It has everything to do with who God is. He is a covenant keeper. God keeps his promises. Hallelujah. G. Campbell Morgan was approached by a miner. I'm not far from finishing. Who said he had trouble? Well, I'm a little bit farther, but I thought I better not start lying here. He was approached by a miner who said he had trouble believing that it could be he could receive forgiveness so easy. He said it's just too cheap. Reverend Morgan, it's just too cheap. And Dr. Morgan asked him if he worked in the mine today, and the man said, Yes, I did. And Dr. Morgan said, how'd you get out of the pit? And the man said, the way I usually do, I came up in the cage. <laughs> said, how did you pay to, how much did you pay to come out of the pit? He said, well, nothing. And Morgan asked him, weren't you afraid to trust the cage if you didn't pay anything? Oh, no, it wasn't cheap. It cost the company a lot of money to sink that shaft. And it was then that he saw the light and realized it had cost a lot for the Lord to bring us grace. Yes. Took a place called Calvary. A man ordered breakfast in the south. And when the breakfast came, grits were on the plate. And the man turned to the waitress and said, ma'am, I didn't order grits. And she smiled and said, you don't have to. It comes with the meal in the south. (laughs) Hey, grace comes with the church in God's kingdom. Come on now. Come on now. It's just a part of the deal. Would somebody help me preach right now? Everything in this house is covered by the grace of God. You're here by the grace of God. You're saved by the grace of God. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Come on, somebody help me preach right now. Grace is upon us. Grace is with us. Grace is walking right now. We're here by his grace and nothing less than the grace of God has saved you. Hallelujah. By the way, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Royce, Royce, how'd you have the strength to come up here and pound on this pulpit? You told me your legs were killing you. Your knees were hurting so bad. He walked over to me and I said, but you feel good in the house of God, don't you? He said, yes. I said, that's the grace of God. I walked in here tonight. I didn't even feel like greeting people at the door. I was hurting. But when I walked in the house, it all left. There is absolutely zero pain in my body. I just can't get over it. You know what it is? God's grace is in this house. If you want healing, he'll heal you right now. If you want salvation, he'll save you right where you are right now. God is in the grace business. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I told you now that Mephibosheth did not do anything, didn't I? That's not entirely the case. He did do one thing noteworthy. Second Samuel 9 and 6 states that when Mephibosheth was come to David, the king, the promise keeper, the man who would change his life, the Bible said 
in 2 Samuel 9, 6, he fell on his face and did reverence. He worshipped the king. Hmm. He worshipped the promise keeper. And when he did, David called him Mephibosheth. I love to hear that name. The name means the reproach has been taken away. Eradication, extermination of all your shame and all your guilt and all your pain. See, Jonathan had given his son that name to take away the reproach of Saul, his father. Hear this, pastor. You do not have to raise your family like your dad and mom perhaps raised you. The devil has told you that your dad was an alcoholic. Sir, you're going to be an alcoholic. Your dad or your mom was a drug addict or was a street walker. You're going to have to be that. That's a lie. That's a lie. Your dad and mom lied to you your whole life, but you, you don't have to lie to your family. That's a lie. Hell's telling you a lie. Your family can be a family that takes away the reproach. Worship does not need to be a hardship in your life. Now David calls the crippled prince by the same birth name. The king did not call the worshiper a crippled prince, but he called him Mephibosheth. Your reproach has been taken away. Can I just stop and say, there's one thing that you need to do for your reproach to be taken away. You need to bow before the king of kings and the Lord of lords and let him call you by your birth name and say, get up. You're in my palace now forever and ever and ever. The Lord calls his worshipers by name, the princely name that you were born with. Everybody say, God, God keeps, keeps his promises. You need to reverence that God. You need to worship that God. He's a promise keeper. Jesus said in John 4, the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father. In spirit, it says is. I, mis I, I mistyped it. And in truth, the Father in spirit and in truth. I cannot look at Calvary and not worship. I can't see his promises to me and not praise. Mephibosheth had so much baggage, so much past, so much fear, so much doubt, yet he worshiped. Some things you may never be free of in this life, but you've been invited to the king's palace. The least thing you can do is worship the king. That's a promise keeper in your life. This church needs to go to another level of praise and worship this year in this house. There needs to be songs sang in a higher octave, in a, greater, in a greater volume. There needs to be hand claps of greater regularity. There need to be hallelujahs like we've never seen before. There need to be thank you Jesuses. I will not allow this church to take the dying, dying vow. We're going to be a living church till Jesus comes. There were two trees in the garden. There were two trees in the garden. Two, two, two. The tree of life. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This church is a tree of life. Life dwells here. Come on, clap your hands real big. Life dwells here.
When the demoniac, I'm almost done, Randy, if you'll come. When the demoniac in Mark 5 saw the promise, 6,000 demons could not stop his worship. He was, he was bound with a legion of devils. The God of promise deserves our best praise, our best worship. I close. I don't for a moment intend to minimize the challenges some of you face. I really don't. Some of us can say with the poet Langston Hughes, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It has tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up bare. That's what Langston said. You're angry. Some of you are disappointed. Your marriage is not good. Your kids are not behaving right. But looking back, you made a promise. Try to keep it. Why, you say? So you can understand the depths of God's love to you. Keep the porch light on for the prodigal. Some of you were not here perhaps a couple of Sundays ago. Prodigal of 25 years came home. The parents had been praying for 25 years. And he came home and found Jesus. And his drug life and his drinking life had wrecked his body. And the day I preached about him, when I preached, it's never too late to pray. He died that day, that Sunday afternoon. And I helped bury him a few days later. And his widow comes to this church and she's precious and she's faithful. She came up and thanked me. Because here's what I said at the funeral. I said, when the prodigal came home in the Bible, there was a fatted calf in the pen. But when this prodigal came home, there was a lamb of God in the pen. I promise you this. I'll make this promise to you. If you'll just keep trying to show up, God will bless you and heal you one day. And this preacher... This preacher will never give up on you. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to win your heart tonight. I'm trying to tell you that I've known the promise keeping power of Jesus Christ in my life. And I won't give up on you. I won't give up on you. I won't throw you in the potter's field. I won't throw you in the dumb ground. No. Jesus is going to save you. He's going to heal you. He's going to set you free. He came to set the captive free. He came to set. Can we have some singers up here? want some singers up here promise keepers enrolls you in the post grad school of God's grace and love when you keep promises an old man came to visit his wife every day in the rest home she was a victim of Alzheimer's and dementia she never knew when he was there and when he left And one day a nurse at the nurse's station said to him, Mr. Thomas, 
your wife will never know. She'll never know the difference if you're here or not. She is at rest, well taken care of. Go on and live life. It's all right. And he turned to that nurse and he said, she may not know I was here, but I will know. (laughs) See, I made a promise. And I will die keeping that promise. When I came, I'm pretty broken tonight. When I came to Austin, I made a promise. And that promise was, I would give everybody a chance. Because church is a chance. And I had a man that sat in the middle of the balcony for 10 years. His name was Eddie Jones. He was my friend, but he never made a move toward God. And Eddie got sick, and I went to see him in the hospital. And then he came back to church, and he had a breathing apparatus on him. And one Sunday morning, I saw Eddie get up and say, excuse me, excuse me. And he walked out, came down these stairs and walked right here. And he said, preacher, I'm ready to surrender. And he did. This pastor will never give up on you. I'm going to pray for your marriage. I'm going to pray for your kids. I'm going to pray for your future. I'm going to pray for your homes. I want to meet the Lord one day who kept his promise to me. I want to be a promise keeper. Are you a promise keeper? Let's be promise keepers. Everyone stand to your feet all over the building. Thank you for your love, for the word. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for the word tonight?